Welcome back to another episode of Capes and Tights. I'm your host, Justin Soderberg. This is a comic book and pop culture podcast. Today, we have a guest author of a book called American Comics, A History, Jeremy Dauber, joining us on the podcast. We talked all kinds of the gauntlet of comic books in general, but about mostly about his book, which is available now on Amazon.com or anywhere you can buy your books uh, in this world, basically. Uh, Jeremy wrote this book over a span of about four years. And it was released on November 2nd, 2021. So make sure you check that out. I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis on who Jeremy is before we get started uh, with this podcast. So Jeremy Dauber is a professor, professor of Jewish literature and American studies at Columbia University, where he has also served as director of his Institute of Israel and Jewish Studies. He's received undergraduate degree from summa cum laude from Harvard and his doctorate from the University of Oxford, which he attended as a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, Jeremy is the author of a number of books, including this today's topic, American Comics History. He frequently lectures on topics related to American pop culture, Jewish literature, history, humor at venues, uh, and humor at venues around the United States and internationally. Uh, Jeremy was a great conversationalist and, and, and great podcast, so make sure you check out his book, American Comics, a history available on Amazon, anywhere you can buy uh, books nowadays. Uh, make sure you follow Jeremy at jeremydauber.com. It's G Jeremy. D-A-U-B-E-R.com, as well as on Instagram, or sorry, Facebook, I can't say this right, on Twitter, and, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Capes and Tights Podcast, and on Twitter at Capes Tights Pod, capesandtights.com, and anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find us uh, to download, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. So uh, this is our interview and, and conversation with Jeremy Dauber of American Comics, A History. Check it out. Enjoy. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. How are you? Great. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thanks for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to, to jump on here with us and talk uh, talk your book and just talk comic books and, and, and you know and life in general. Uh, how is life? You're in New York, New York City. Is that where, am I correct about that? That's right. You're, you're finding me in New York City. So that's where I live with my family. And we are uh, we're excited. We got to see the book in person in an actual bookstore. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun, you know. I mean, it must be somewhat, I mean, you have a couple of books out there now, so it must be, it must be, uh, you know, boring at this point, right? When you see your book on the shelf. <laughs> well, you know, it never, it's always a thrill, but you know, my kids are very little, so they don't really remember the last time the last one came out. So it's, uh, uh my three-year-old keeps trying to grab the books down from the shelves in the bookstore and, uh, <laughs> try not to pay for them. I'm like, no, that's my dad's book. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just to get started here. I mean, how, how how did you get into writing? What's the story behind getting into being an author? Well, you know, um, I'm my day job uh, is as a professor at the Columbia University. And part of, uh, you know, the, the requirements of the job were to write some books. And, and I discovered that I actually liked writing them. Um, and as I got sort of further on in my career, I said, you know, I'm going to start teaching courses about things that I think are both quite important and things that I also love. Uh, and I make a joke with my family that like the 12 year old in me is extremely happy about the career that I've taken as maybe again, that may be the case with you as well. But like to be able to talk about these things that we loved growing up uh, uh, and and to teach, a, in my case, to teach a class on them, uh, you know, it was just really a wonderful opportunity. And, and I was really very lucky because I've been teaching this class at Columbia for the last 10 years with uh, Paul Levitz, 
uh, who is the, for, for people who don't know, might be listening, the former president of DC Comics, uh, really was every aspect of the business in one way or another. And he and I, uh, I learned a lot from him. He might have learned one or two things from me. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, together we, we, we developed this class. And, I, you know, and at some point I said, wow, I think there's a book in this because it really tells the story, American comics of America uh, over the last certainly 100, 150 years. Uh, and, I, and I also thought that there was a way of telling the story that, that combined a lot of the interest in superhero comics and mainstream comics with a lot of the interest in, let's call them sort of alternative or independent comics, uh, what some people call graphic novels, although of course we know there's graphic novels on all sides. Um, and, and really all of that be part of one large story. And that was the kind of thing that I wanted to tell in the book. And, um, you know, uh, that's what happened. So the book is now out. Yeah. Well, well congratulations on that too. Beginning in November, it hit the shelves and, uh, you know, we're, we're excited. I said, I, I talked before we started recording, uh, I skimmed through the, the advanced copy that I got and, and it's, it's well-written. Uh, I did read the intro. I, I skimmed across a couple of those chapters to get some idea of, of your writing and so on. And, and uh, it covers a lot. And, and so my question really is, is like, how did, how did comics become part of your, I know you, we talked about writing here a second ago, but like, were, did you always have a passion for comic books or comic strips or anything like that? Or? I definitely did. So I was, uh, I, I suspect I'm a, a little older than you. Um, and so I was, uh, you know, but what they would now call or would have called a Marvel zombie uh, growing up. And so when I was, and, and basically I probably collected every comic that Marvel put out from let's say 83 to 89 or something like that. That was, uh, that was my period. And I, I just love that stuff. Before that I had, you know, grown up with the newspapers. Now that's an old fashioned idea, but the newspapers of uh, every Sunday sort of reading comic strips. Um, and I kind of aged with, with a certain history of the medium. I mean, I can talk about this on this podcast because these are people who know, um, you know, so at almost precise, I was 13 in 1986. So at almost precisely the moment when I was like, you know, this is getting a little bit, maybe a little juvenile, whatever, right? There was Dark Knight, there was Watchmen. Uh, I come from a Jewish background. There was also Mouse uh, was coming out and that, that was very important to me as a kid as well. Um, and then I went to college. I read a little bit less, uh, even with that stuff. And then when I was in graduate school, people were like, you have to check out these Vertigo line of titles. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, and I can, you know, and then I started coming back to it and I never really left. And then I started uh, after a couple of years after that, I started teaching this class. Um, but that was really when I sort of, you know, so I've been very lucky, I should say, that um, I kind of grew up with a certain kind of history of the medium. Um, and and uh, so it's been a lifelong love. That's awesome. I mean, it's kind of funny how a number of people I talk to have this like early childhood love for comics. And then it gets to the point where it's too juvenile, you know, like it's, it's becomes this, I'm too adult. I'm, I need to be more, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old, need to be more of an adult person and comic books I need to leave behind. But then there seems like that ebb and flow where it comes back to them. Like, no, I don't care what, you know, it's not juvenile, but there's also, I think over the number of years have been created, like you mentioned with the vertical line, a lot of your image or independent lines are very adult comic books, not adult as in like inappropriately adult, but like adult as in, you know, I'm reading something's killing the children right now. And it's, a, it's an adult comic book. It's not a comic book that's for kids. Uh, that's not juvenile, obviously. <laughs> we, there are these like, you know, things and that's something that you're going to go over, you go over that there's a wide variety of comic books out there that people just immediately jump to, um, you know, the funny books and, and the idea that this, this thing is, is juvenile or kid, you know, there's some serious storylines that come out in comic books nowadays. 
I think that's exactly right. And I do wonder whether or not that ebb and flow that you talk about that's definitely out there is going to be or what is going to be a historical sort of phenomenon. That is, you know, when I when in my age in the in the mid 80s, right, you could say, look, at least if you're talking about what we could call mainstream Marvel DC type comic books, it was a little juvenile. I don't even think the people publishing in Marvel and DC would have disagreed necessarily with that as well. I mean, you could have found, if you went to a comic store, you could have found comics that were more mature uh, in, in the way that you're describing them. Uh, but it was harder to find those things. Nowadays, uh, there's no, re- I don't think anyone at any point is going to say uh, there are not comics out there in the comic medium that are not adult, that are not, you know, you just will grad, like it's like going to be like novels, right? Where you're going to graduate from, uh, you know, kids' novels to something that's sort of for an older audience. and But that's going to be available all the way uh, in a way that I think it wasn't a generation and a half ago, let's say. Um, yeah, and, and we I, I like to say this. So some of it is uh, that, you know, it's become more mainstream in the idea of movies. I mean, movies have made this world, I mean, we're all, uh, you know, it's sadly, a lot of people would rather watch it on a screen than read it on a book. And, uh, you know, but that's also helped. I feel like it's helped the comic book industry. It's helped, I mean, uh, writing a book, 15, 20 years ago about comic books, it probably wouldn't have been nearly as successful as this book will probably be because of the mainstreamness of comic books, I would, I would think. I, you know, I, the book to me, it re- jumps out on me when I see it on these different lists. You know, there hasn't been a ton to me. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I do read some books, but like a lot of the ones that jump out, I'm like, I want to find another book like that one about comic books. And it ends up being just another story told from a different person of the history of Marvel comics. And so with this book, it seems like it gives me the, the gauntlet. It gives me everything that I want to know about the comic book industry over the 100, 150 years that you mentioned. Well, Justin, I mean, thank you so much for saying that. Cause that was really in some sense, my, my, my goal was both for, you know, deep fans of one particular aspect of the comics medium or people who were like, they, they you know, are just interested in culture. Uh, as so many, as all of us are, and just say, you know, this is an essential part of our culture. I don't know that much about it. I'd like to read a book that just says what it's about um, from, you know, and, 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 and I also felt, well, there wasn't quite a book that was like that. Uh, and that was the kind of book that I wanted uh, to write. So it means a lot to me that you really have, uh, you know, got it. You've rocked the, the kind of essence of what it was that, that, that I was trying to do here. Um, and, 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 and I hope other people will feel the same way. I, I, I do. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and so when I talked a few weeks ago or recently to uh, two writers of a book, uh, a graphic novel about free speech. And, and to me, it's like a serious topic that got me into like if I always say in this podcast, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I got into comic books because I couldn't read very well. And it was like somewhere to make pictures along with with text in a short storyline that's what, 20 or 30 pages long that gets a beginning and an ending. Yes, it might have a ongoing storyline, but there's I can get something out of this one book. And so I mentioned these, these, these gentlemen about how the graphic novel aspect of something with serious back, background to it, like a free speech thing, uh, made it huge for me. Because I mean, if I was younger and read this book, it, it would have been a massive success to me. And I would have learned all kinds of things about free speech and so on because I got this graphic novel part of it. So like I mentioned, it has all these different books out there. There's even that nowadays where people are writing graphic novels about things as, as serious as free speech. And, and uh I'm just excited to see where comics is going. The thing, funny thing about writing a history book about comic books is that it's never going to end. Like you could add a second chapter, second novel of this, you know, in 30 or 40 years, you know, you could, you could finish up with a, a, you know, a follow-up novel or a follow-up book because of all the things that happened between when you finish this book and the next book. 
I think that's right. You know, I was I was finishing off uh, um, the the book because at some point you have to send it to press, like you're saying, right? You have to just you just have to do it. And it was right in the the opening months of uh, the of COVID, uh, and conferences, you know, cons, conventions, excuse me, were getting canceled, right? Uh, you know, the comic book stores were saying we don't know what's going to happen. We're putting out our product sort of on the sidewalks for people to pick up. We're trying, you know. And you were saying, well, what's who knows, right? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, am I going to have to? And and uh, you know, it turns out, thankfully, that it seems like the business is doing well, and you know, and, and all that. But but who knew? Uh, but as you say, you know, if I write if I write a revised version twenty years from now, uh, there, there's going to but the, it, there's always that story. You know, if you pick a date and you say, you know, 1954, right after the seduction of the, you know, and you say, oh, that's going to be it for comics, like who you know, right or whatever whatever it is. Um, or the internet in, in 2002. Oh, the internet's going to destroy and no one's going to read a comic on paper ever again. Um, but what's amazing is you're saying is that like 100% there are all of these serious topics that are in comics. They're for adults. They're for kids. My kids go to school in their school library, in their public library. There are shelves and shelves of graphic novels uh, on you know, heroes of American history on forgotten figures on how to do this or that. Um, people are just going to grow up saying this is a medium that we use to do everything um, along with other media. And and I think we're not, and I mean this in the best possible way, right? We're not coming back from that. That's going to, no. that's going to, yeah. I think. How, so how long, I mean, how long have you been working on this project? I mean, you said you released it beginning in November. Like how long was the whole beginning well, to ending, the inception to now? I would say I was writing for about four years. So yeah. even in those four years, you know, when I, before I wrote, just to take an example, before I wrote it, you know, uh, before when I started writing Black Panther, the movie hadn't come out. Um, you know, we were talking about sort of, uh, you know, how these, these, the movies and the TV, you know, Marvel Studios was still doing very, very, very well. But, you know, the streaming had not quite taken the same kind of robust thing uh, that it had now. Uh, you know, comics had already begun to, um, you know, win all sorts of prizes uh, uh, for, uh, you know, in, in sort of august literary precincts. But there were more Newbery prizes and MacArthur Genius Grants and things like that in the interim. So, you know, a lot of trends that I was beginning to see had intensified to such an extent where, you know, I think a lot of people sort of felt now it's impossible not to be uh, uh, in American culture and not think about comics in a serious and profound way. So I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> It's, it's it's a I mean obviously you have uh what you have five, four or five books five books also on top of this one uh, yeah this is my fifth nonfiction book yeah okay and so I mean obviously it's a daunting task in the beginning to just set out to actually start to do this but you know once you get rolling is it just one of those things you just dive right into and it's what your main what what your main focus is other than teaching obviously uh in your spare time is just trying to figure out where to lay how to lay it out and so on and so forth is it was it all you or is there other people that you have researchers or, or you know I, you know, I, I had, uh, uh, I had one or two sort of research assistants who helped gather some of the material, particularly uh, someone uh, named Tiffany Babb, who is actually a comics creator in her own right and is very involved and writes for a wonderful, wonderful person who will have a, a tremendous career, uh, uh, Tiffany will. But, um, uh, you know, a lot of that is gathering the material. Um, and so the interesting thing is, you know, how to tell the story. I mean, this book originally, as hard as it is to believe, this book was much longer. Uh, it could have been, but there are things, you know, you, you, you have to sort of file away all of the things uh, uh, that, that, that don't sort of serve the story that you're telling. 
um, and, and and things that you love kind of get lost a little bit in the mix. But, uh, you know, nothing can cover absolutely everything um, uh, as much as I might have tried. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's been, you take a lot of time. I mean, I, I thanked in the acknowledgments uh, lots of members of the Columbia University library system because every day I would kind of pull up and I would say, here's 20 books uh, from the library that I want to take out. Here's another 20 that I need you to order from various precincts around the country. Um, you know, and, and, and the library was, was amazing in, in, in helping out. There's a woman named Karen Green, who you may also know, who's a, the Columbia University librarian for comics. And we have one for comics and has just been amazing uh, in helping out. So, but that, that says something right there that, that Columbia University has a focus on the comic book aspect of, of literature and, and, you know, the medium of, of picture books <laughs> to the point where graphic novels and, and uh, comics can end up in special places like that. You talk about MacArthur Genius Grants and, and all these things that come out of a picture book, which is, is just fascinating to see. And, and I, I get, you know, uh, for the rest of your life, anybody who's a comic book fan is going to get not ridiculed, but it's going to be we're going to be picked on a little bit because it's the fact that, you know, you know, why don't you read a real book or why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? You know? Um, but it's getting to the point now where, I mean, I'm, I'm a 35. So I was born in 86 when you were talking about right in the middle okay. of your Marvel <laughs> love, but I'm a, I am a tattooed person and all of them basically, oh, wow. except for one that's on this arm is an artwork piece of artwork that I drew is all comic book stuff. Uh, and so like, I don't think that you talk about, you know, 18 year old Justin or 17 year old Justin in high school would have, admitted to when I turned 18 getting my first tattoo that I would have been like oh yeah I'm gonna get some comic book related because that's cool people are gonna love me for that no I was trying to hide my comic book love because I wanted to be a cool person and comic books weren't cool at the time now it's just you know I, I probably would display the book about American comics on a shelf and show it off to people I'd probably I mean I have things like you said I see behind me and I in my living room my wife has you know made some uh you know She's forgive me a little bit, but there's some, there's some <laughs> pictures on the wall. There's, a, there's two pieces of artwork in our living room that are original pieces of artwork that I loved having that are comic book related, but I don't overbear her. I don't put it in too much in the house. Um, but I wouldn't have thought about that back when I was in high school, that comics would have been a cool thing to do. Now, this kind of a book, I'd give it to a, a young, you know, 18, 19 year old and be like, hey, read this book about how my love of comic books was created in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think it's also very funny that, you know, we've been talking a little bit about sort of the adaptations, right, where there is even this sort of cool aspect of saying, well, you know, I knew about these things before they were sort of plastered over the multiplexes, right? You know, oh, you you like that. You should read the original run because the original run actually is right. You can have that kind of dynamic, right, which which uh, certainly when I was growing up, I think, as you say, even when you were growing up, really, that was not uh, that was not the case. Um but now it is sort of the lingua franca, part of the lingua franca of American culture in a way that it was, I should say, for as a historian, you know, a hundred years ago, right? I mean, if you had said in 1925 or 1935 to someone, oh, you know, I'm keeping up with the latest comic strips, nobody would say, oh, I can't believe it, right? Everyone would say, oh, I guess you're an American citizen then, right? I guess that's uh, that's just, you're, you're, you live in America, that's what you do. Um, and, you know, that's also part of this historical ebb and flow uh too um you know there was a point sort of in the 1960s with the countercultural things that to read comics was also to be associated with a certain kind of cool rebelliousness marvel tried that for half a minute with the marvel pop art stuff and you know um and uh you know this is one of the nice things about being a cultural historian is that you watch these trends and these moments but i'm glad we're in a moment that we're in right now it's fantastic for all of us who are fans 
and it's uh, you know more recently, I was just thinking about the different risks that comic book creators are taking with adding in uh, you know substantially risque topics of you know you know same sex marriages and, and, and race and all those drugs and all those other stuff. I mean, drugs has been one of those ones that has been tried to put into comic books. You know, back in the early with you know DC, day, you know early few number of years ago a dc days of putting a cover of someone shooting up on the on the cover of the book and you know comics code obviously wouldn't allow it originally um but nowadays it seems like they're taking these risks and taking these uh you know big subjects of race and, and religion and, and, and same sex and all this other stuff which is something that's you know groundbreaking in a sense as well because again it's such a you know part of culture nowadays uh, to see that too so it's just love to see the the, the, the expansion and the growth of comic books in the first place but Getting back on 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 the writing of the book, the question I have is, why all comics? Why not just picking a superheroes or Marvel or DC? Was there just you wanted to get it all out there and, and cover the whole thing, or was there? Because uh, I mean, to me personally, I don't know if it's just me being lazy, but I would have been like, okay, I'm going to pick Marvel and go with Marvel <laughs> and write about Marvel, and then maybe I'll do another book about DC and maybe another one about the origin of 150 years ago, but. Um, was it just like, there is a story to tell the whole thing? I think you put it exactly right, right there. You know, that I think that, you know, one of the things that I really loved was finding all the connections that really came out when you treated this as a full story, right? Rather than, so, you know, when you look at Alan Moore, let's say, and you look at him growing up and you say, this is a guy who read a ton of underground comics. Uh, and actually started doing a comic strip that owed a lot to Art Spiegelman before Mouse, right? But uh, when he was doing sort of some of his underground strips, he, uh, Alan Moore was also a cartoonist, right? And he did his own sort of comic strip called uh, Roscoe, Roscoe Moscow, if I believe, if I remember correctly. It's, it's very easy to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Um, and so, you know, that's an example, right? Or when you see the people who did Love and Rockets and they say, you know, what we loved was Archie, right? Which is not surprising if you look at kind of work right you know or you see the undergrounders uh when they start they say well we loved ec and walt disney comics as a kid and then we sort of parodied them and we did all these things with so if if you only sort of focus on one of the stories you can tell sort of some wonderful things by doing that there's not there's no question but you're 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 missing out in some ways on some of the uh, uh the the broad history and tapestry and some of the richness of what those artists and writers bring to the table um, because almost you know almost all of these writers and artists are are, are huge lovers of the medium uh, they're not just reading the they're only their style of comic books as it turns out they're reading sort of lots of different things and it all comes into the mix and so as a historian and a critic uh, I thought that was very uh, that was very interesting and very important to kind of tell so it was a little bit more work. I'm not going to lie. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was. But but I, I think that it, it paid off, uh, not just in terms of, you know, for the reader, the kind of you get to know a lot more uh, and you get to find a lot more stuff that you might be interested in, but also um, in terms of the the understanding that I that, that, that I brought to my own understanding of these individual comics. Um, and yeah. so it's funny, I, I, I am happy about it and not, not to like, you know, Pat, your, pat you on the back this whole uh, this whole podcast episode, but okay. I'm happy about it because as a, I'm a big Marvel fan, most of my uh, reading is Marvel comics. I, I you know I don't want to you know make your uh, teacher at Columbia also mad. I don't I don't never actually read a DC comic ever. Uh, it, it just happened to be that when I was younger, my dad when I was sick would bring me home 
uh, you know, like a ginger ale and a, and a Marvel comic book. And he just, I don't know if it just happened to be what he grabbed off the shelf or whatever was available. That was obviously back when it was more available at newsstands and, and you know, in, in uh, convenience stores and things like that. Uh, and so Marvel just became my love. And then I started like, you know, getting more entrenched in Marvel because I'd say, you know, people like Stanley and Jack Kirby and all these people created these characters that live in my world. Mm-hmm. You're in New York City. You can look out your window right there and see Spider-Man swoop by. That's right. huge to me. You don't live in Gotham. There's no such thing as Gotham. So that always to me. So I've never read a DC comic book, but I've read Marvel my entire life. Excuse me. But so because of that, I become a big Marvel fan and entrenched in Marvel and more, more recently, more indie stuff too, is that I would only pick up a book based on the fact of the history of Marvel. Uh, I've read a couple of uh, biographies of Stan Lee. I've read some books about Marvel versus DC. Um, but reading a book that's about all comics in general gives you a bigger perspective of, it almost forces me to read about other companies or other mediums of comics into as well whereas if i just pick up a book about marvel i'm going to learn about marvel over again which is the exact same stories over and over and over again so I, I do appreciate that because it forces those who would love comic books like myself into learning about comics in general not just the the, the maybe the uh, publisher that you you read the most right and you know and it makes you go back and look at some of those comics that you love that we love you know differently uh so for example once i started reading about this genre called romance comics right that really flourished kind of in the late 40s in the very early 50s right that and and that jack kirby uh was very involved in uh, uh he was one of the creators in fact you could say of the genre with joe simon uh and then you read a lot of the love triangles that populate uh early uh marvel comics you say wow that's a lot in the DNA. There's a lot of romance comic in the DNA, even though these comics are not romance comics, right? But, uh, you know, it's not that Iron Man uh, is a romance comic, but there are love triangles there. There's all, you know, and, and, and so, you know, you really, wow, this is all part of that kind of story. The more you read of those sort of horror and science fiction and monster comics from the 1950s, you look at Fantastic Four number one and you say, oh, well, you know, who are they fighting? They're fighting a monster that could have appeared on any kind of cover uh, from the last 10 years of comics history. Uh, and, and that's a, a lot. Of, and then, you know, conversely, uh, in the 70s or the 80s, reading sort of this Marvel comics, you know, you're, you're when you're reading sort of these politicized alternative and counterculture comics next to them, you're saying, oh, here's where they're trying a little bit within the confines of the comics code to, to take on some of those issues uh, in their kind of way. Um, you know, and, and it's fun to kind of see those stories coming together in that way and go back to comics that I loved as a kid and say, oh, you know, actually there's something here that's part of that bigger story. And it's not just what I grew to love like you, I think is the kind of real life universe of the Marvel comics and the kind of the, the grand web to use Spider-Man, right? But a grand web of all of these things together of saying, okay, well, since I'm collecting all 14 titles, uh, or whatever it was at that point, um, Rom the Space Knight is going to appear in the X-Men and that's all part of the same story or whatever yeah. it was. And more recently, Mike, uh, I normally have a co-host on here to add up, but he had a, a prior engagement so he couldn't join us today. But he, um, him and I have talked about how dark and gritty DC has become too. Like it's very, 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 very dark. It's very, very, like there, there's no color in it at all. Whereas Marvel <laughs> is a little bit more poppy and more like there's darkness too. I mean, we have a series that hits out right now that came out Wednesday. The third issue came out called Dark Ages and it's very dark. But like, to me, it's more, I don't know, I, 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 we live in such a dark world right now. Like, we live in such a, the pandemic and all the other stuff that's going on in the world right now. I'm like, I kind of want to get escapism to something where it's a little bit more like, 
I don't know, bubbly in a sense. And so that's one of the reasons why Marvel has become also my go-to thing. As I said earlier, though, I'm also reading a book called Something's Killing the Children about a monster killing children. So, you know, I that's can't a great, always That's a great that title, though. Something, that's a great comic. So, James Tinian, uh, the IV, he's a great writer. I, mean, um, I feel like out of the group of books that I'm reading right now, I think there's at least two of them that are by him because I'm also reading um, Department of Truth, which is that oh, his, the conspiracy theory book that's out there, which is amazing. And he's also writing that. And it's like, this guy's hitting home runs like no tomorrow right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, every so often, you know, you feel like there are a couple of writers that really sort of epitomize the age. And I think he's, 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 you know, one of those, he's right, he's right up there. Uh, and I think that, you know, one of the other stories I tell in the book is, and I mentioned something is killing the children uh, very briefly in the book, because it had just started, I think when I was finishing. Um, but, you know, is horror, horror as a genre, which is such, again, a mirror of American society. Um, you know, what we fear is part of who we are. Uh, and so comics, you know, are always jumping on on that to the extent that they can within, you know, the code approved institutions or what have you. Um, and and, and I, I, I think that's I think that's right. But but, you know, one of the things that we always used to play as kids is Superman versus Batman. Um, and in, in some ways, as a metaphor, Batman has won in the DC precincts right now, right? It's all grim and gritty. Uh, and, and, and it's much less of the the sort of the light of being a Superman uh, in a certain way. And that, that pendulum may swing again, you know, who knows, but that's where we are right now. And I think Marvel has always been a little bit better uh, at, at having sort of a kind of delightful irony, ironic comedy uh, in their, in their comics. And, 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 it, and it comes to their movies as well. I think in many cases um, that uh, right now, these, yeah, go on. I'm sorry. On the horror side of this too, I, I listened to a podcast called off panel. Uh, it's a, it's a great podcast on the internet right now, but uh, he uh, talked, had a guest on there talking, I mean, it might've been when James Tinney was on there, honestly, but talking about how hard it is kind of to write a horror comic book in a sense that, I mean, when you open a book, comic book, a, you know, an actual book, you read it and you see that you just see words. So that you don't skip across the next page to see what the words on the next page are. You just look at the first bit word and you read it. That's a comic book. You kind of open up and you take in the whole landscape. And so like you open up the next page and you flip the next page like it has to have whatever jump scare or scary thing in the book has to be in that top left corner of the book because you can't put it on the bottom right corner because you're obviously going to know if you just stare at the entire image, you're going to know in the bottom right corner what's happening and, and so on. So we have to write the book and draw the book and lay out the book in a way that when you flip the page is when you get the scary thing, the horror part, and the rest of it just tells the rest of that story. Then, oh, there it is again. Because of that, it makes it a little bit more difficult to actually write a horror book than maybe a superhero book or, you know, some other uh, book on the market. Because, again, jump scares in movies, you don't you don't see that. You just it happens. Jump scares in comic books. Again, a lot of us cheat. We open it up. We take the whole landscape in and we're like, oh, 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 guess that person dies. Oops. <laughs> so writing those, I mean, obviously it is difficult in some sense to write a comic book in the first place. But I feel like horror books are one of those ones that are taking off and you have to have a specific mindset and, and way of laying it out to actually get it done right i think you're a hundred percent right that layout is the key to a horror book even in some way i mean it's the key it's the key to every comic book but it's the key even more to a horror comic book and at the same time that it's almost like a sonnet in a you know uh, that that the the restrictions can can create power right so on the one hand you have this, this this thing you know like you're saying you're gonna you're gonna lose the effect but this thing of saying i know that the next page is gonna scare the crap out of me and I don't want to turn that page, but I have to turn that page, but I don't want it to. And then you turn there and it's like a double page spread of something horrific. I'm thinking particularly, 
uh, of the, the one of the first issues uh, of Garth Ennis's and Jason Burroughs' Crossed, which is hardcore, right? I mean, this is not for, this is not for your casual horror fan. But, you know, there's one double, I'm not going to explain it to the reader, I will leave it for them to be terrified. But they, you turn and there's a huge double page spread and as bad as you thought it was going to be, it's much worse. And, you know, it's just, I, 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 that page haunts me sort of sometimes in, at night. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you're, you're a hundred percent right that that's the beauty of comics is to say, we, this is a special medium. It's a unique medium and has its own sort of gifts and its own sort of uh, challenges. Uh, and the masters who work it well, they can do amazing things. Um, the other thing of right, uh, horror, for example, is what you do when you don't show. Comics is a visual medium, so you have to show stuff, but you can also, you can use shadows, you can use things that are hidden or half hidden, you can pause with multiple panel breakups to give, and all of that can, can with the hands of real masters of the craft, can really sort of create a kind of effect that's even different from the movie one, because the movie one, like, you have to go at the rate that the moviegoer shows, um, and, and here they can kind of slow it up and speed it up, you know, that kind of thing. So. I agree with you. Our the the black diamond of skiing of uh, yes, of, 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 of. <laughs> and that's like and that's when you, just, you know mentioned James James Tinney and the, the fourth the same thing with him he has that ability to do that and the same thing I had with uh, Department of Truth which is a conspiracy theory book it's the same idea where like you don't know what's going to happen and it's like one of those like he has to do it on that certain layout and so on but uh, there's just this you know to get to the overall subject here there's a wide vast variety of comic books that are out there for I think for anybody there really is a book now for any reader and that's to the point where there's a young kid the adventures comic books that are out there uh to you know uh, something's killing the children or some other really deep horror book to superheroes to all that stuff and it all started uh, like 100 150 years ago like you mentioned when you know comic strips and things like that were starting to to put out there i mean honestly they're probably con you know you don't know there's probably comic book strips on walls of caves somewhere uh honestly but <laughs> someone was telling some sort of superhero story on a wall somewhere but uh you know in hieroglyphics or something but there is you know those, uh, you know, those cave so. paintings of the you know going after the buffalo you, you just have to put a cape on some of those people who are facing down these big animals you're 100 right right it's a story so some of them are more superheroes than actual superheroes we have nowadays. I mean, Batman just wears a cape and a cowl and Iron Man wears an iron suit. They, I mean, they're not actually powerful. I mean, maybe those, super, those cave dwellers were uh, superheroes as well you know, in their own right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between it's the damsel a, it's in distress. Amazing, it's an amazing long story. And I, I'm, I'm very happy I got a chance to tell some, some chunk of it, you know, in the book. Um, and so just quickly as we round this up too i wanted to talk you do events too you do like uh, uh lectures and things like that i mean obviously covid's really stopped you from doing that are you going to get it back into doing that some more are you going to do some about comic books as well or is this i really hope so i hope i'm going to i'm going to get a chance to do some conventions sort of later in the year and uh and, and individual lectures and events i'm doing one online for the national archives uh in december which which could be very cool um you know given my sort of comic book brain i kind of imagine and using it like to try and break it and steal the declaration of independence or something like that but i'm doing it uh i'm doing it on zoom so i think that's unlikely but i'm doing that december 13th and uh you know i hope to be doing more events that you can people can check out my website which is jeremydauber.com it's not so fancy for uh for upcoming events or follow me on twitter and uh the book is on sale everywhere everywhere and so and so yeah, you can buy it on amazon you can buy it you can, is there links on your website i'm guessing too 
Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, there are links. There, I'm not quite as good at this yet, so thank you for helping me out. Um, uh, yeah, there are links on my website. Uh, you can buy it wherever you buy books, both online and in person. Um, and, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I thought it makes a good holiday gift. So, uh, yeah, I was just going to say it's perfect timing, honestly, because, uh, you know, there's a couple of books that are coming out in this month that I've talked to a few people or even like DVDs or things like that. It's like, you know, some, someone out there is pretty smart about when, when these books come out because uh, they are, they do seem like a pretty good book. Uh, for a comic book fan out there or someone who's just into history honestly like you mentioned it, you know maybe it's someone who's into history who isn't really into comics but this might break the mold on them and get them into comic books in the first place yeah i've been doing a bunch of uh you know radio interviews and, and many of them are with people who are not as well versed as you but what's amazing to me is that every single person there hasn't been one person yet who hasn't started with something like oh i loved this and it's one aspect of it right it's you know and they're different Many of them are different. A lot of them are, 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 are peanuts, as it turns out. But, but many of them, but it, which is not a bad choice, right? But, but uh, uh, they're all, you know, everybody, nobody's like, I, I have nothing to do with any kind of comics ever, right? Nobody has ever said that yet. And I can't imagine it's going to be, everybody's got their way into the story, so. Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned the peanuts part, but like uh, on, uh, when I talk to other people about comic books, a lot of times I ask them what, what got them into comics and they start saying, you know, in the 80s or 90s, I started watching this. And then it always eventually sometimes people talk about the X-Men cartoon. Oh, on Fox sure. back in the day, you know, and so it's funny how there's always this different way people got into comics, but there's a lot of times that one cartoon always comes back to, to, to the story. Um, so that could be Peanuts thing could be like all these different ways you got into it. Peanuts is the, really the thing that got me going into, into whatever uh, comics thing there is. And they're actually <laughs> going to be redoing that. Um, the X-Men series. Disney Plus just announced they're going to do it and they're going to bring it back to the 1990s style. People, actors and actresses are going to be on it that were on the first one. It's crazy. They're definitely I going to nostalgic route. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I have a grand sort of cultural theory. This is not just about comics, right? But that when, when you get to a position, let's say, you know, in your late 30s, your early 40s of power in the Hollywood hierarchy, all you want to do is have your hands on the thing that you loved when you were a kid, right? And who wouldn't want that? Who would I, you know, I would do it too. Um, and so, you know, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are like, we love this Vertigo stuff. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna do it. And, and this is what's happening now. Everyone's like, X-Men 97, that's what we're, yes. you know. Yeah, so that's my it's idea. Funny. I mean, it just happened this past, you know, we were recording this on a Monday, but over the past weekend, they um, released Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I was listening to a podcast, or yeah, was it this weekend? Yeah, or maybe it was yeah. the weekend before that. Um, uh, and Ghostbusters Afterlife came out and the guys from, um, this podcast I listened to Kevin Smith's podcast, we're talking about how it's, it's, it's nostalgic lip service. It's like service to the people who just want to learn about, watch another Ghostbusters movie. Like the whole movie is just like servicing those people uh, on the, on the nostalgic of it. And it's a lot of that nowadays. It's just people want to live in the nostalgic part of it. And like you mentioned, it's that getting to play with the things that you grew up with. And, and bringing it out to people as you get older, which is awesome. So, and you got to play in comic books, which is awesome too. And now you hopefully you're going to sell thousands and millions of books, you know, of, of this book, you know, just from this podcast alone. I will take it. I will take it. And, <laughs> and, and this is a, an amazing conversation and it's so great to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. You're such a great interview. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. So uh, uh, Jeremy Dauber, is that how you say your last name? Dot yeah. com. Uh, D-A-U-B-E-R, Jeremy, you know, felt like yeah. Jeremy, like the normal person. My brother's name is Jeremy, so I know that <laughs> one. Uh, and you can find him on Twitter and uh, buy his book because uh, uh, American Comics, A History, right? Is that the name of it? Yes. And uh, we'll put links in the pages and all that stuff so you guys can purchase it too. 
Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Jeremy, and talking to us about your book and just talking about comics in general. Uh, we'll have to have you on again when you write your second book about comic books, right? I'd love that. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Thank <laughs> when you. the revised edition comes out, we'll talk, you know, in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I, I look forward to it. Uh, thank you so much. This is such a wonderful, it's a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Well, happy holidays to you and happy new year. And uh, I hope the book is a super success. And again, people go out there and buy that book. Shop local if you can. Local local bookstores need your help as well. Uh, but if you can't, order it online uh, because yeah, you need a copy of this book for your family for holidays. So thanks again, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you.